Hey, it's Laura. Welcome to TMST. All right, I'm going to ask you to take a big breath and give me a second. Today, we are talking about food and our bodies and the stories we tell ourselves about our worth because of all the gnarly junk that swirls around these topics. And I asked you to take a breath because I know people want to tap out on these topics. I totally get it. But thankfully, we have Ali Shapiro. Ali is the creator of the Truce with Food process. I love that name, Truce with Food. Sounds so good. Which combines how we think and feel about food and all the stories we tell ourselves. She's bridging psychology and behavioral change so we can break all the absurd, dangerous, and shaming patterns we have in the stories around food in our bodies. Allie is a holistic nutritionist, an integrated health coach, and she is a total straight shooter who's not afraid to call BS on all the insanity of diet culture, of which there is no end. Her approach is truly a breath of fresh air. She is one of the only people I would have this conversation with. Every episode of TMST has a personal connection, but I have to say this topic really cuts to the core for me. I'm no different from so many of you. I've struggled around issues of food and my body and what all of it means to my perception of self and worth, all of that, that whole morass of stuff. And Allie's one of those people who just feels grounding when it comes to this topic. So I am so grateful we have her in the world to help guide us through to a better place. All right, here is my friend, Ali Shapiro. Hey, Allie. It's good to see you. You too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so honored to be here. I love the conversations that you are having on this show. It's just- Thank you. uh, It's a breath of fresh air, nuance and complexity in the midst of polarization. (laughs) I always get a little nervous to have a conversation about food, body stuff, because it's so uh, triggering for most people, you know? Yeah. So we'll just say that right off the bat. This is going to be a hopefully very comforting conversation. Yeah, throw a bunch of rules at you. You're not going to feel like you're doing things wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If anything, I want people to understand. Kind of like with drinking, often it makes complete sense if you know the root cause of why you're doing that versus mm-hmm. you're sabotaging yourself or you're bad. And and we'll get into all that. So. Almost all of my work, obviously, around addiction has been specific to alcohol, but food was absolutely my first sort of coping mechanism, uh, as it is for many, many people. And I have found often underneath the food, or underneath the alcohol addiction or whatever addiction, the, the food rears its head, right? The body stuff rears its head when we get rid of, of that one or we overcome that, Um And it's a lot harder to untangle because unlike a substance, we have to eat. We've talked about that a ton. You don't get to opt out of eating. There's no such thing as abstinence. So the process of recovery in pair is such a paradox. And I think that's what keeps us frozen like in this because trillions of dollars are pumped into helping 
quote unquote, helping us to address our relationship with our food, with food, our bodies in particular, weight. And there are always these solutions that promise to be so simple. You know, you just follow this equation and you're going to be, it's all going to be set, but it's focused on the wrong outcomes. And so this is why we, I wanted to have you here to help us untangle this all. Um, but before we do that, can you share how you got into this work? Yeah. So um, I, I think I can start when I went to Weight Watchers at, at age 11. And um, I was called fat on the bus by a boy named Ryan. I won't I won't disclose his last name, <laughs> but I still Ryan, remember him. Ryan. And it's always amazing to me how, you know, I was probably in like third grade, but you knew fat was bad, right? Like even though, you know, I grew up with a, a dad that was like, you can do anything. And my dad happened to also be really obsessed with his weight. He was always running from the fat man and he never put it on us, but you know, and we can get into this later, but developmentally, as children, we take on, you know, what we learn in our in our households. So I went to Weight Watchers at 11 and I had, you know, some success. Also Richard Simmons, Deal a Meal. At 11? Yeah, That's at 11. So young. Yeah. And, and what I would later piece together in my, I guess in my late 20s was I had been exposed to pesticides. Um, I was doing gymnastics in a friend's yard uh, of uh, and the, their yard had just been sprayed with like pesticides. And I had a really bad reaction for like two weeks and the doctors didn't know what it was, but I started gaining weight after that. Um, and so now what I know is weight is sometimes inflammatory driven, talking about nuance. It's not always, you know, calories in, calories out. Um, and so I was like, I'm gaining weight. I don't know why. And, and you just know it's bad, especially if you grew up in America, I would say. Um and then yeah. I, I lost some weight, but I was never able to like stick with it. And then when I was 13, I was diagnosed with cancer and um, I got really thin from that. Um, it was, you know, chemo, you can't keep much food down and, and whatnot. And you start getting attention, right? I think everyone, mm -hmm. this is what's tricky about weight is people say, well, you know, it doesn't matter, but we have these lived experiences of, well, I'm getting more attention from boys. Girls are giving me more attention, right? It's, it's more fun to shop. The, the clothing designers, you know, are, are geared more towards you when you're thinner. Um, and at that stage, I could pretty much outrun what I was eating, you know, <laughs> because you don't have much yeah. else to much else to do. Well, at least I didn't as a as a high school student to study and have your job, you know, part uh, a part time job. Um, and then when I went to college, which was a huge transition, my emotional eating basically turned into binging, and that's really when the diet starts tomorrow. Diet starts tomorrow, and um, that was, I guess, about. 20 something years ago. And this was long, and, and this was before social media, before there was a community of health at, health at every size, you know, um, and I had just tried so much that I was, um, by the age of 24, I was like, I have to stop this. And basically I, I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which was a, is a holistic nutrition school. And I found functional medicine. And I basically realized that a lot of my issues where I was trying to be vegetarian as a cancer survivor. So I realized through functional medicine that a lot of my issues were blood sugar and gut related. And I was able to reverse all of that stuff. And I was just, I was thrilled about it, but I was like, why didn't I know about this? And um, so I basically went to grad school as I started to see my own clients to be like, why did I not know about this? Why didn't the doctors know about this? Um, and why was the therapists I were seeing, we didn't address food 
even though that was such a big part of my healing, ultimately figuring out what foods work for me. And I realized that the reason that I didn't know about any of this, because I was so focused only on viewing food as calories and food as good or bad. Um, and everything was about weight loss versus this bigger meaning of, hey, this can actually be a tool in your healing um, versus something that you just turn to for unknown reasons that I thought were about willpower and discipline. And so basically in grad school, I came to the realization through my own journey and seeing my clients, we would stop talking about food at like the third session that what food I discovered is really about safety. And we turn to that when we feel physically unsafe from, especially if we're not getting the right foods for our bodies. So as I started to realize that all of this like shame that I had um, started to dissolve because I was like, oh, this makes complete sense. Um, we all have these stories. And when we feel at risk in some way, food is a source of comfort. So what is the work that you do now? Yeah. So the process that I created is called Truce with Food. And the, ac the academic in me would call it biopsychosocial. The, the magazine version is mind, body, spirit. <laughs> and I would, yeah. I would even say mind, body, soul, because it's more about <laughs> uh, you're a yoga teacher that those that root chakra. Um, mm -hmm. And safety. so it's, yeah, safety. So it's really helping people unpack the stories that make us feel psychologically unsafe. Um, and then why do we turn to those? Uh, why do we turn to food? And how can we actually build our capacity to choose differently in our stories? Because that's where the healing is, when we can choose differently today, when we probably didn't have access to different choices, you know, way in the past. One of the things that I found so helpful that I first heard you say is that food, it, that we have this narrative that food is about control, especially eating disorders, that they're about control. And you say it's not, it, that's so oversimplified. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So we can talk about the re how we're rewarded, right? Um, and so a lot of my clients, they I call it, I deserve this eating, right? It's like, so they come, <laughs> they come home at the end of the day and they're like, I deserve this because there's this narrative that if we sacrifice ourselves, right, we'll be rewarded. And, and again, it starts in childhood of sometimes we just need to let our emotions out and like, you know, and let our emotions out. Like, again, I'll give the example of my son. He's three. If he doesn't want to leave the playground, let me just say to him, I understand you're upset, right? So have someone validate our experience, but then say, and we've got to leave rather than mm -hmm. thinking he gets a reward for doing the hard thing. <laughs> And so, <laughs> which when you're three, and I would say adults, actually, a lot of my clients struggle with transitions because um, if we look at transitions, take a lot out of us. Like what's a transition? What's a, what's a transition that we do? Oh, work, work, work to home, work to home in the, in the afternoon, right? Or work to parenting and then to home. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I've got to like gather myself. I'm like mentally still thinking about my to-do list, but now I have to deal with, you know, whatever's coming my way with my kid. And then I have to do the whole nighttime routine. And then mm -hmm. it's like, ugh, you know, that, so that's a transition of like when you're kind of switching tasks. That's super stressful. I mean, I used to feel like work was my easy, easier place to be by far. I had more control there. So are you saying that we often equate like I deserve this because I, I, it helps to ease me into that transition or after I've done it, I, I get to reward myself with whatever because I deserve it. I deserve to eat whatever foods. 
Yeah. So it'll be different for everyone, right? So a lot of my clients realize that actually a huge reason they turn to sugar is they're exhausted. They're tired, right? Totally. And But their story is, I've got to be productive. If I'm not productive, I'm falling behind. If I'm falling behind, I'm losing financial security, right? Or opportunities, right? And so the story isn't actually about food, but then they have physically exhausted themselves, right, from that. And so then the transition can often help them, quote, power through, right, um, to to get through that transition. Um, and then maybe when they, you know, I have a lot of my clients who are like, I'm standing in front of the fridge at the end of the night, you know, and I'm looking in there and I don't know what I want. And when we really think about, it's like, what feels at risk there? It's like, oh, I'm thinking about, did I say that right? Is that person mad? Is that mm. so the residue of the day? I, you know, and, and it's you can think of it as phantom hunger, right? It's like you don't really want it. There's not you don't have a specific craving, but you're standing there and all of the risks that you're afraid of, like, you know, start coming up of is that person mad at me? Is that did I say the right thing? Um, and so those transitional times often bring up the uncertainty. And if we aren't if we aren't eating well, if we aren't sleeping well, you know, if we don't have the right relationship support in our lives, um, we f- we feel less capable in those transitions, and then food becomes even more likely of multiple root causes, right? Exhaustion and right. the uncertainty of was that the right thing to say? What are yeah. they going to think? Right. So again, back to safety. Yes. Yeah. And I think safety bigger is a bigger. Um, a bigger bucket than just control because it, it can be about control. But what my clients start to realize is they don't need control, but they need choice. They need, and because adults, we don't like our autonomy taken away. You know, mm-hmm. like the minute you tell someone not to do something, it's like, okay, you just took my grown ass sense of myself, <laughs> you know, yeah. away. Um, and so it's like, we are actually, I believe, much more resilient and creative if we focus on, I call it being in choice, right? Of, rather than thinking we need control. Um, but the reward thing is huge why we we turn to food. And that's not about control. That's, we can, so many people, um, and, and I love, you know, you had Kelly McDaniels on about mother hunger and she talked about being adapted to deprivation, right? And mm-hmm. so many people, you can't, you can only be deprived so much, right? Um, right. Before you're right. going to need to compensate that. And, and we often think with food, well, oh, we're depriving ourselves of food. And so then we binge on the food, but we also deprive ourselves emotionally. And then we binge on the comfort that we haven't been getting throughout the day. So it's that, but then it's also, um, again, if we think of food from like a safety grounding standpoint, right? We, we know the phrase, oh, I felt like someone took the rug out from under me, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of Food is about routine, ritual, right? It connects us to our family, which is that, or our ancestry. Um, It connects us to other people, right? (laughs) Um, And so you can go to an event and it's much like, you know, if you feel like you don't belong because you're not drinking, you know, it's like my clients get the same thing of, why aren't you eating that? Oh, you're not the fun one. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Food pressure is real. So real. And then there's the like, oh, I don't want to be the difficult one. So we have this story about, I can't be the burden. I can't be the difficult one. Um, And so that is about loneliness, not control, because loneliness, 
people often feel the most lonely around other people because it's about your social needs not being met. So if you yeah. genuinely don't want to eat something, but you feel you have to, to, you know, just go with the flow, that choice is like, I'm not actually being seen for who I am. And that's what psychological safety is, is uh, my clients often, I think the way to describe it is like, you don't feel you have to need to be on. If you feel psychologically safe, it's like, mm. oh, I don't have to be on, you know? I, I think the four main things are exhaustion, uncertainty, which can lead to wanting control, inadequacy, not enough, too much, but also loneliness and, and reward. You know, those are the, those are tend to be all of the, the reasons. Four. All of the, like I can feel it in my body that the way I used to feel about food all the time was that I I was trapped. I could not be comfortable with food unless I was – and I, the idea was that I had to be constantly thinking about it, constantly vigilant, constantly aware, constantly good and managing it. But it was always – just out of reach because we can't do that. It's impossible. I mean, how many times my mother and my grandmother talked about food as good and bad. It's, that food's good. That food's bad. Right. Yeah. And eating was bad generally, just flat out eating in an Italian family. So you're supposed to eat and eating is f love, and this is how we share with each other. And and but but getting too full and being too having too much food is bad. Well, and I love that you bring that up because then the deeper meaning is what does this mean about me, right? If I'm eating too much, right? And in America, I, I can't speak for other countries, but I have clients all over the world, and it's kind of the same thread, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Is that if you're good with food, it's that you're responsible, you're disciplined, right? You're successful, you're yes. working hard. And then the binary is, okay, if you're fat or not eating too much, you're irresponsible, you're undisciplined, and you're lazy, and you're unsuccessful. And we think this is about our body size. And, and this is a point that I think is so important for those of us in the wellness, a lot of people who claim they're not religious, but spiritual, that kind of overlaps with the wellness community. They don't realize that all of those values come from pro the Protestant work ethic. I just wrote about this in my next book about it's, it's puritanical culture or Protestant. They're very similar, you know, that we're, we are founded on that. This country is founded on that. This idea of the morality of responsibility, the morality of hard work, the morality of discipline, like that's, it goes that deep where I'm a good person if I can do this. And I'm a bad person if I don't. Yes. And I talk about it in terms of, of alcohol, but also just the baseline level of self-hate that we have is a unique phenomenon to the West. And we don't even know that. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, what? This yeah. isn't something that everyone just feels, you know? And it's not. It's not. It's not that that people in other countries and, and, and other, you know, it's in the East say don't feel elements of that. But ours is particularly like acidic and incessant. My clients often say, well, I'm falling off track. And what the track in their mind, what they're really talking about is this value system. And they're like, I feel like I'm on a balance beam and I could go either way. And what that is, 
that the tightrope I'm walking on and the de- my definition of responsibility, there's very little room for error and everything else is bad. So if I drop one ball, right, like, and there's no social safety net. And so we think like, oh my God, I have to be hardworking to like have my basic needs met, right? But then we think people who are wealthier have worked more, even though some of the hardest working people are the people who make the least amount of money. Um but they have not as much room for error, right? They have to work two jobs. They can't get sick. They have no, no childcare. So that's what I mean by our, we, it's important to know our values, but we also have to understand what do I mean by responsible? And it's about food, but it's about everything else in our stories too, right? So it's like, yeah, okay, if I have to be respons- at work and I have to be responsible um, to go the extra mile on the project. If I have to, you know, I can't call in sick, all this stuff, then no wonder you're going to reward yourself at night. Well, what you're speaking to, to me is something that I think is at the core of, of my struggle with food was that I felt like I could not trust any of my, my intuition itself was faulty. Yes. And what a scary place to be. My intuition is telling me I, 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 I should be eating more. This isn't enough food. I was miserable and I knew this can't be a sustainable way of living, but there was a trap there because if I don't do this, then I, then I end up with that. So what that tells you is like, you, you can't trust your intuition. I love that you brought that up, it, especially because your body is your home right? Like you're, you're bringing it with you everywhere. And so it ends up becoming, I can't trust myself. And the way that we, if you can't trust your hunger, right? We could even look at, at, cause I know that you're, since you're an amazing writer, it's like hunger is our, like when we eat, it's vulnerability, right? We're, we're taking in stuff that not mm. just not weight wise, but it could have poison on it, right? Like it could have a bacteria on it, listeria, or, you know, it's, right. it's our interaction with the outside world. It represents intimacy, right? Like, oh, wow. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. Like literally what we eat becomes our blood and bones and our hair, right? <laughs> and so if we can't intimately trust our own home, like metaphorically, it's like you bring that distrust. I always tell clients what's often we think with food and body, there are these like, you know, stress incidences that are like the weather, but what actually affects us more is like the climate, right? Of like how we grew up with the people around us and what they say. The day-to-day consistent messaging. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's often harder is because we start to think because of how we develop, oh, this is what I think versus, oh, that's actually my mom and my grandma think, you know, that they're in my head. Is this what I think? And as adults, we can start to have more context. Oh, well, and again, it's all of this, I think, is to hopefully connect us to our parents who struggled with food, not separate us from them, but like, wow, well, they grew up believing that. They grew up being rewarded for that. So how would it, how were they to know? So that's my point is we start to think this is what I'm thinking. I mean, I think this is, or we, we internalize the authorities in our life. And it's also peers too. I think that's important for people to realize is that so that we can start to, you know, quote unquote, leave the nest eventually, our peers become just as authoritative as our parents. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Teenage girls. Yeah. <laughs> it's occurring to me as you're talking that there's this root thing here about honesty and food and body. Food is almost, and body stuff is, even though we talk about it, 
we talk around it, not about it. I have groups of friends that kind of don't eat. <laughs> and yeah. and there's always this sort of base level tension in the air around food, right? But no one's actually talking about what the fuck is going on. Like, I ha- I am struggling with my body right now, or I'm really embarrassed about my weight at the moment, or I feel trapped by food and I don't I, – I love getting together with you all, but I don't want to do a thing with food because I just am not okay with all of that yet. Like, that's never talked about. It's almost more taboo than alcohol because we we – talk around it. We certainly have lots of conversations about food. It's very present, but not the truth. The truth is not present. I'm so glad you put that out, put that out there because there's in, in these days now too, if you want to lose weight, you're considered like bad, right? It's, it's, it's like gotten even more polarized rather. And I think part of it is we think we don't know what we're really talking about, right? It's like, yes. we're not just really talking about food. We're talking about psychological safety pain. we're pain, pain. Our, our pain all uh, of yeah, it. our emotion uh, all of the uh, it's the it's the like kelly mcdaniel said it's like the mother hunger wound like it is the most vulnerable spot in us to talk about so i agree we don't even know what we're talking about <laughs> and i think that weight loss keep this what we're really talking what we really want from weight loss is this salve of life isn't going to be what is true Right, it's not going to be uncomfortable, right? Because if you, when you hear people talk about oh, weight loss, yeah, you want safety—the safety of not ever being in pain again. Yeah, I remember. I still remember where I was. It was 2012 um, in Philadelphia in my co-working space, and I was struggling with something with my business. And I was like, oh, I no longer believe that weight loss would get me out of this. <laughs> like I was like, Oh I- my god, <laughs> I know. And it was like, oh, weight loss is like the belief that life isn't going to be what it is, like the uncomfortableness, right? And it's like people think confidence is something you get with weight loss versus, oh, confidence is a skill set of getting out of the hard stuff. And that's why people always want to lose 10 more pounds because weight loss is not actually about the weight loss. And then it's also tells us we're spending our time well. Well, of course, it, you know, it's it's so layered. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I don't think I ever thought of that. Like, I mean, I thought I did. I did believe that if I was a certain weight, everything would be great and fine. And and it wouldn't I would have no more pain. I would have everything I wanted. Even if I didn't, I would be okay with it. I definitely thought that. But I but um that's such a like mind blowing idea. I I don't know if you um, listened to the jealousy and envy episode. Oh, it was one of my favorite. Everyone listened okay. to it. <laughs> so so it's in there too because m- lots of us women, especially, are socialized to want to be the thin woman and to be envious of the body. And what I realized was around the end, the, the the sticky envy that I needed to not that like I actually have a deep longing for thing, but the other kind, which is I want what that person has or what I think it's giving them, is safety. And that's what I that's what I realized too. Like the success of social media, if I have that 
much, if I have that many followers, if I have that big of a platform, if I have that those accolades, the, the bestseller list, I will be safe. I could so relate because um, I have my own business, right? And it's like, oh my God. And one of the patterns that we get into to protect ourselves in our story is the compete pattern. And the compete pattern is based on scarcity and never enough. And so it's like, if it's never enough, and so the question like we're always working on in our stories of that is like, what is enough? The competing piece is huge. And we're taught to compete in patriarchy with other women because I mm-hmm. used to do that in my own field. And I'm like, oh, I'm not comparing myself to any other men's social media followings. No. Like, <laughs> no. Never. Not, at all, not at all. But yeah. And, and but don't my- you feel like your first envy was other girls' bodies that were smaller than you? Yeah. Well, and it's... Um, the other thing I wanted to say too is because when we're younger, those are there's another underlying narrative that is, well, you'll be chosen. You're being chosen, right? Yep. It's like we all the Disney movies, how do they like, how does the woman get <laughs> right? And so I know like for me, when I was bullied in fifth grade, like I made the connection, well, oh, those girls are being chosen by the boys and each other because they're pretty and thin, right? So it's like that. Mm-hmm. And so we're taught again in the socialized mind, you want to be chosen. You want to, and even being a certain weight is, oh, you're pleasing to other people. So they're going to choose you versus when we step into self-authoring, it's like, I'm choosing this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, this is what I'm choosing. And part of is like, what is enough for me? Right. And I just want to say too, like for anyone out there, I mean, I hope this resonates, but clients often use the term, like I'll feel bulletproof, right? Like, or not like, yeah. And that's that metaphor of like, oh, I'm not going to feel I'm not going to feel and the good and the in the bad, you know. I always tell my clients like beautiful people still get divorced, they still lose people, they still have health issues. You know, we I mean we know that intellectually, but we don't know that's what often We don't believe it. Right. Well, and then to kind of layer another layer of complexity, like these days you have to have a certain level of wealth, right? Like I had a, to be healthy, right? And I had a client she was mm. so liberated because her one of her um her relatives was like, said to all the females in the family, like, oh, you should be motivated looking at JLo, you know, because all her wedding pictures just came out. And she was like, okay, JLo's job, she has, you know, probably trainers, access, to, like, and, probably. And I mean, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but it's like, there is this, like, for you now to be, and Time Magazine did this like several years ago, talking about how wellness is the new status symbol because Completely. you need time, you need money, you need access, you need education about it, you know? And so now when we see like thin women, I think often there's this element of like, you know, even like my husband grew up very lower class and he's like, teeth. Like I never knew, you know, teeth, like, do you, do you have money to go to a dentist? It's like all this stuff that visually signals class, which, you know, in America is huge. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're, we're projecting all of this stuff onto it that we think it's, oh, it's the body. And it's like, no, it's all the things that are wrapped up into it. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm the executive producer of Tell Me Something True, and I co-created the show with Laura. You know, we have one goal here, put something into the world that helps all of us figure out how we can have a better week. 
And we think that the best way to do that is to keep the pod ad-free so that all of the work goes toward making something that's useful for you instead of hustling to keep advertisers happy. And this is where you come in. TMST Plus is the membership program that helps to keep this show going. Whether it's through a monthly membership or a one-time contribution, TMST Plus members are super important because they help to pay for the show's production and distribution costs. It's pretty sweet, makes a difference, and you can make it happen with a one-time gift for as little as $5 or $10 or $20 a month. If your situation is such that becoming a member doesn't work, it's all good. We hope you enjoy the show, maybe share it with a friend or two, and we hope you check out the playlist that we put together every week on Spotify. Just search the playlists for Tell Me Something True. It's free, and we're thrilled that you're here. And if you could become a member, well, you can find the link in the show description. Head over to tmstpod.com. Takes less than two minutes. And thanks. So hopefully people, what people are hearing is that in this very sort of like animated conversation and all these layers is not that it's too much and it's too complicated and that, that um, there's nothing to do about it. And um, hopefully what, what I hope people are hearing is like, look, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yeah. And yeah then of course also it is your responsibility but it's not your fault like this is this is bigger than alcohol this is bigger this is something <clears throat> that everyone has to learn to live with and it's not that everyone has issues with food and body and stuff but I, it's got to be a majority like a vast majority oh you say? yeah Oh, yeah. And the American Psychological Association did a big survey with COVID and how, you know, we probably know this drinking and eating, like the, it just all ramped up and it hasn't gone back down. Well, and I think what ends up happening is people feel alone because they think, well, I don't have an eating disorder, but eating disorders only really make up, I think last time I saw like 3%. And I think the rest of us have, you know, disordered eating (laughs) and not everyone, obviously, but I, I think for sure the most, most people do. What's the way in? Like yeah. the first or one or two things to start, you know, biting a piece of yeah, the yeah, yeah. Here. That actually makes a difference. You know. Yeah. So I think the first thing is just like really let it land that food is safety and think about your earliest memories and what food came to mean to you. Now that we've talked about that, because I think part of what I see with my clients, you know, the first session we do with them is like getting them to see their stories and how they're not self-sabotaging, they're self-protecting. And there's so much relief of like, oh my God, like, because there's so much shame of like, why can't I figure this out? Why can't I figure out how to feed myself? It's so basic, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus like, why does this make so much sense? And so I think that's a first step. And then when it comes to body image and food, so body image is actually pretty fluid. We think it's like one way, but like, you know, you can feel okay. And then one day wake up feeling quote fat. And I say fat is not a feeling, it's a story, right? So Mm. what we want to think about is when you start thinking, when you're, when you're genuinely not hungry 
and you start thinking about food. Like a lot of my clients are like, it'll be three o'clock and they're like, I can't wait till I get home. And I'm thinking about what I can eat, right? Is ask yourself, what feels at risk? What am I, what is feeling at risk right now to me? And I think that acronym that, I mean, I didn't call it out, but I'll call it out now, is a great way to start. And again, most of us aren't in our bodies. So we even have to just start coming from scanning the outside world to like coming into ourselves is like, Mm -hmm. am I feeling tired? Am I feeling uncertain? Am I feeling inadequate, which is the too much, not enough? Or am I feeling lonely in some way? And what feels risky about that right now. And as you start Mm -hmm. to connect both feeling fat and food that when you're genuinely not hungry, you'll start to see what you're actually afraid of. And that food will hopefully soothe you, ground you, reward you from. Um, And I think asking that, like what, that's actually the first exercise I give all my clients is it's a food diary that isn't really a food diary, but it's a risk diary. Whenever Mm -hmm. I start having you know, mental gymnastics around food, what feels at risk? Like, what am I worried is going to happen? Do you have people then, do you have them look at their actual food and eating habits right away? No. Well, so it depends because some everyone comes in at a different point, but I think the food piece is people really understanding their blood sugar um, because blood sugar actually, when it's, de- when it's deregulated, gives us more anxiety which if our, the most well-worn path in our mind is what am I eating? We're going to think that's the issue versus, wait, this is a much more holistic, bigger thing going on. And so I, I, I always use the example of um, like a clean lake versus a dirty lake. And I hate to use clean and dirty because it calls to pure. Yeah, right. right. But for, <laughs> it but, works though. Yeah, but it works. A lake you can actually see through down yeah. to the bottom versus one that's really muddy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in the beginning, you'll often be confusing blood sugar hunger. And and I, I love starting with blood sugar because gut health takes a lot longer to heal. But blood sugar, how you eat at one meal sets you up for the next three hours. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling more anxiety, you may actually be thinking about food because your blood sugar is crashing and then the stress of what you have to do. So some people, they'll come to me and they're like, I don't, I can't even... And, and I don't, I only offer experiments. I don't ever give people rules because I'm trying to help them develop their own authority. So I'm like, your body will tell you. So some people are ready for the food and they need that kind of, whew, I need some sort of grounding. And then other people are like, I know what works for me. I've seen, I work with the functional medicine doctor, I, you know, but I'm not doing it, you know? So then we start with that emotional stuff um, first. So I think people, and this is part of the self-authoring process is, what, what are you most curious about? Rather than like what you're so frustrated about, what, what intrigues you and resonates the most and start there because you can trust yourself. What um, do you mean by that? Like, what are you curious about what? Yeah. So some people feel like um, they may, you know, someone, for example, has anxiety, right? And they know that it's in their periphery, again, because it takes a while to stop tying everything back to weight loss because we've been I would say indoctrinated. I'll use the religious term since we've kind of touched on that. Yeah. But you may have read a couple of books. There's some there's some great books out there. Um, Dr. Ellen Vora's book on anatomy of anxiety, you know, how blood sugar and food. So you may be like, oh, 
but you're still measuring weight loss, right? So it's like, if you're curious of like, wait, I actually think if I could reduce my anxiety, right? We tend to be all or nothing, but if I could reduce my anxiety, this would feel, then I could tackle the emotional stuff. But some people are like, I can't, the, the food, I can't even touch that. Like I'm really, oh my God, this is what's resonating the safety piece. This is what where it's at for me. Got it. Okay. So okay. so you're saying what's what you're most curious about in 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 these conversations? Like where is my what am I naturally attracted to? What is my intuition telling me to go toward? Yes, yes, yes. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um how do you how do you um how do I want to say this? The diet, the diet mentality, the sort of diet brain that we have, because um, that seems to be, I guess that's, would you say that's the same as weight loss? I mean, equating everything to weight loss. Yeah. I mean, diet culture, kind of the thumbnail sketch of that is like thinness at any cost, right? Yes. Right. Um, and so how I think a really good bridge for people, because the idea that you can just extract that, because also diet culture is a nesting doll of patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. It's like all this stuff and, and it's the yeah. water we swim in. So the idea that we might, I mean, I feel like I'm extracted from di- diet culture, but it's also been, you know, I've been on this path for a while. Um, but I think what I tell clients to do is focus on safety signals, because if you focus on the physical safety signals of the right foods for your body, movement, right, again, and, and, and this takes time, sleep, sunlight, water, you know, those are the basic things. Your body, if you're, if you're it, when it comes to weight, your body will find its natural place if it's if it's getting the, the safety signals it needs. Um, and then and then focus on the emotional safety pieces because that- Safety kind of, signals meaning your body feels like it can relax because you're yeah. giving it, you're, it you're, allow, keep you're, the you're helping on. it be safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your body has needs to keep the lights on, right? Like, um, and again, those safety signals, and, and this is, I think, important. Often adults, we focus on like, you know, and even healthcare people do this. Well, this will help you live 10 years longer. That as actually isn't motivating to adults. We have so many other competing commitments. We so, can't wrap our heads around that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you know that that's not a need right now to live ten years it's longer. Too that's far not, off. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we start to see improvement in our personal or work life, we are we will stick with things. So I call them like quick fixes, and it's like you know we talked before we were talking. You were saying like you're. Um, you've been eating a lot of sugar because of your birthday and your your boyfriend's mother's in town and it's fine. And you could like, oh, I'm not sleeping as well. I'm having crazy dreams, right? So it's like, okay, if I can start connecting these shifts, this is how we start un- unconnecting things to just weight loss. But it's like, mm-hmm. do I feel more stable? Do I feel more able to speak the truth, right? I mean, these more instantaneous things. Do I, do I find that during transitions, I actually have more stamina if I don't yeah. try to work through lunch and then try to quote unquote catch up, you know, um, so connecting it to actually making your life better and making you like more resilient, more creative, more just more satisfaction in life. Um, yeah. That can start those sending your body the safety signals. And then that starts to shift your relationship to food and body. And then um I think the emotional safety signals, right? When am I starting to feel, you know, that that creepy crawly or I'm I'm starting to think what are they going to think? What what are they going to how are they going to feel? And again, we don't want to not think of that, but we want to start with 
what do I want to get out of it? When I'm feeling at risk, what's important to me here? What's important to me here? Um, and I think then you start to calm the emotional. So then the eating that we that is unhelpful, and I we say out of alignment with goals because, you know, sometimes you really like, you know, I went to a friend's birthday party. I wanted birthday cake. Like that was my yeah. goal was to participate, you know? Exactly. I, I don't want to be eating birthday cake every day that I would probably get sick of it, but it, it wouldn't be great for me every day. Um, but you can start to get into the nuances of when, when do I really want to eat this versus I'm doing this because I feel at risk in some way. And this mm-hmm. is, I'm turning to this for safety. Um, mm-hmm. But I think focusing on safety is like a holistic health orientation versus it all has to be about weight loss, but it also honors that people may want to lose weight and maybe they need to. And I would ask, we don't really know. I would offer, we don't really know if you do. Yeah, I know. It's so, it's so, I've noticed twice in the past three years when I, and I think we actually talked about this, um, and this is maybe moving into a slightly different topic about just how normal it is to gain weight and certain periods of time. Um, The two times that I have gone back to wanting to control my weight and dieting and restricting and just some kind of plan, you know, I need a plan. You fell (laughs) at risk, right? You fell at risk. Yeah. (laughs) Right. When COVID hit, um, that I did that. And then uh, when I was in the middle of trying to finish this book, or middle of writing this book, which was over the like winter, early spring this year. And it was, I was, it pushed me so hard. I was just, there were not just the book, but there was lots of factors, but that I felt at risk. I totally felt at risk. And um, both times I was like, oh, I'm going to do intermittent fasting. And, and the, 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 the wild thing is like intermittent fasting might be great for some people, that's not about that. It's more getting religious. I felt myself getting into that rigid religious, and you get this high from thinking like, oh, this is going to fix it. This is the thing. This is the answer. And you have a little success at the beginning, and then it just becomes about, it just becomes stressful to, to me. My body hates it. It will always hate it. <laughs> It's for whatever reason, probably because of all the, you know, well, one, I think it's just not natural for, for most of us to, to obsess like that. But also like I have too much trauma with eating disorders and stuff. My body's just like, fuck you. No, this is never going to work. And, and I only could see it after the fact always. So, so maybe what I'm asking is like, talk about the, the normalcy of fluctuation and, also, that this is a forever process because, like, I know better at this point. I I really know better, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have all the information and I don't – this isn't something I'm living with every day, but it snuck up on me and in the background and I didn't even realize until after the fact, oh, that's what you were doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So – that in truth with in truth with food, we talk about like, are you catching your story sooner and sooner? That's part of the measure. Mm. That's part of what we measure is because in the beginning, and again, our stories, they are they have their own energy to them, right? Like, and they're yeah. so they overwhelm our system 
And they put us, our amygdala, in black and white thinking, right? And so it's like, <gasps> right? And so the goal, especially in the beginning, is catch it after the fact. Are you catching, you know, if you went to the social event and you binged and all that stuff, all right, that was great research, right? Like, let's, 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 let's organize what actually happened there, right? And then as you build your capacity to be with both joy and, you know, and vulnerability and, and the heart life, right? <laughs> All the emotions we don't want to mm -hmm. often deal with, you can start to anticipate, right? And be like, oh, this is my pattern. So when you go to write the next book, it's going to be like, I can, I can be ready that the more at when I hit peak risk deadlines are, oh, it's getting it's getting closer that people are going to be reading this. Is it going to, right, when all the risks, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So what do I want to do in those moments? So yeah, starting to, as clients say, oh, I'm on to myself. Yeah, we talk about, it's, I, we do that in, in alcohol and drinking all the time. But again, it's just so different because you can just, you, it's sobriety is abstinence, right? We never have that option. Yeah. Well, and I will say, I mean, I think a big part that we do in Truths with Food is work on, as we change our stories, you know, Eastern philosophy considers the ego, like you want a healthy ego. They define ego differently than Western psychology, but it's like a healthy ego to feel like you can make your mark on the world, right? And so as we actually change our story and go through the hard things with the, the x-ray vision that we've talked a little bit about today, you know, it's like your capacity gets bigger. So it's not that the stress, and you've said this, and you're, I love it. It's like, life doesn't get easier, we get better, right? That's yeah. your line. And then I always quote, and it's like, as the stories, as we live through our stories and choose differently and realize, oh, this isn't about food. This is about, this is about, getting through a deadline and I want it to be successful and, and envy and all. It's like, wait, what's important to me here? What do I want to get out of this process? We can have, we have bigger capacity to then choose differently and see the story in, in different ways, but it requires us getting more and clear on what metrics and like really matter to us. So yeah. that's, but in the beginning, you're going to see it after the fact. That's like, that's just like plan for it. Of course. And, <laughs> yeah, plan for that. Just know that. That no, it's that's important to say because we always want to be better. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah. Fully better, you know, and and to never go back to that. And it's been it's been a long time for me, like like you, you know. So this yeah. is, it, it can be like really, you know, you. But but I did I I once I realized it was like okay, you know, yeah. I didn't bang, beat myself up about it, and and oddly. You know, I think my body had to like hold on to more weight in that time, like it, in the in the stress of trying to make it not happen, trying to like lose weight or what. You know, the control made it worse. Like, it's amazing how when you re you're able to just relax into it. It's not like I I didn't lose weight, but I just I stopped seeing my body as such a problem. Yeah, and and so two things is that what I loved is you got re-embodied, right? Which is where your intuition and, yes. and creativity access. So as we start just focusing on the weight, we've objectified our own self, which is how we've been taught, right? And yes. so then we miss out on all the wisdom and intuition that would actually help with the process. Oh <laughs> so God, we end up creating these, we end up creating these self-fulfilling prophecies because we leave the body. Another thing that you just made me think about uh, is when truth with food, we call it the Delta it, and, and I, it's how, what would I have done before? Right. So we're not trying to get to 
any endpoint because life is not like that, right? And this is the metaphor even of our weight always fluctuating. Like life is going to come at us right? <laughs> in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, like you said, like, oh, I, I caught myself. I was there for a little bit, but I didn't go down the spiral. I didn't, like you, you might've started, but you didn't finish, right? Like you came back to yourself. Yeah. And that's yeah. where the self-trust is, is like, oh, what would I have done, you know, 10 years ago even, or, or three years ago. Or, or, and you have to give yourself, it's like, I'm not drinking through this, right? Like <laughs> we yeah. have to think of all right. the stuff of like how far we've come. And it's like, to me, okay, so you did that, but you caught yourself and you didn't, you didn't spiral. That's a huge win to me. You got further than you would have before. And that's because we expect ourselves to be all or nothing, right? Like, oh, yeah, there's safety yeah. and perfectionism. That's what perfectionism is about. It's like, nope. <laughs> the whole safety thing is wild. It, it is, really is. It is. It's so layered. Yeah. And we start to realize that. I think that it's so helpful to, to look. It's so helpful to look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing for people is to realize that ultimately a lot of our stories come back to rejection and loss of, and, and, and abandonment. And yet we then abandon ourselves. And so it creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. So part of the healing is like, again, coming back to ourself of like, what do I need here? What do I want to get out of whatever the event is, you know, kind of reverse engineer the satisfaction of it. Um, yeah. But stick staying with ourselves and as you know, often they psychological safety is also termed as like having your own back, you know, it's mm. like, because we've got and we have to be with our own bodies, because uh, we're, we're the constant in our life. So if we're not friends with ourselves, you know, <laughs> you know. one last question, what do you yeah. do if people are like, okay, all this is great. I hear you. I get it. But I still hate the body that I'm in and yeah. I want it to be different. I hate it, right? And yeah. I and I am not convinced that I will be at peace or be happy at this size, shape, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that's most of my clients. <laughs> I'm sure. Like I love yeah. I love all your thoughts and this is all yes. great. But I still actually truly I'm miserable in my body. Yeah. Yeah. And I say all right, let's start there. <laughs> like we don't have to change. Like this is where you are right now. And it and I think this is where it gets nuanced is some people are really uncomfortable internally. Like if you are binging a lot, if you're not eating the foods that work for you, it's really uncomfortable to be there. You know, yeah. like when I was binging, you don't sleep well. I had I, part of my IBS was from binging, right? Yeah, I had reflux. And I your think that's clothes the, don't fit. You feel uncomfortable all the time. You don't move through the your body doesn't move through the world in a way that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in developmental psychology, literally the chronic pain we experience if we have the right support is called optimal conflict. It's like, okay, if there's a pain that you can't you can't like embody discomfort is a huge one. It's like, okay, maybe I'll actually do the developmental work because it's hard work. You know, sobriety is hard work, right? But if it's enough of a pain, you'll do the work to actually change your story. Um, and I always tell my clients, you, like a lot of clients, it locks, it takes six months to lock in, but they start feeling a little bit more free each time they make these connections. And then it kind of comes together. You know, in Eastern philosophy, they say 
to go fast, go slow, <laughs> which is yes. like, you were, <clears throat> yeah, I know, the most annoying. Yes. It's, it's so, true. so annoying <laughs> as someone who prizes efficiency and is like, never feels she has enough time. But you, um, but you talked about with diets, like, oh, it works at first and then it doesn't, it stops working. Right. And then actually we know diets are some of the biggest cause of, of weight gain, but we have been taught that like, oh, if I start off slow, it's just going to continue to be slow or might never happen, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think we have to start realizing, like, let's start with the discomfort exactly where it is. I'm not expecting you to feel differently, you know? And maybe you do need to start with the food, with experimenting with how your blood sugar, so you can get a little bit more. Because when we start to figure out what foods work for us, from a psychological standpoint, we start to shift our relationship with our body. It's like, oh, those cravings and hunger, those weren't bad, right? We pathologize those. And in, in diet culture, you're rewarded. It's like, oh, those were messengers. Those were symptoms. And so then you start yeah. to catch on that all the discomfort is a symptom. It's it's an invitation, you know, to, mm. to some more depth. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I think it's No, fine. that's super helpful. I think that's sort of the question that maybe would have been hanging in the balance for people like, okay, but I still hate my body. You know, yeah. I'm really unhappy. In I this. get it. I get it. I look back at my journals and I'm like, oh my God, I really hated myself. Like I forget That's now. That's all I talked about. Yeah. All I need to, right? Oh my God. Oh, if I lose, I'll do this many calories. And then if I lose two pounds, I'll give myself a pedicure. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. It was a I lot know. Of, a lot of ener life energy and years wasted on that. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, how can people, what do you offer? In yeah, terms of ways yeah. people can work with you, what, yeah, what's out there. Yeah, so I have my own podcast that you've been on. It's one of the most mm -hmm. popular episodes <laughs> um, oh. we about you and sugar. Yeah, and I can't wait to have you back on for your next book. Um, it's called Insatiable, and that's available everywhere. Um, and then I have two, I, I have my Truths with Food process that we do with uh, groups and individuals. And I also have my Truths, uh, it's called the Truths Coaching Certification, where I'm, I'm um, training people in this methodology for them to make it their own because um, it just it's it's really the structure of we often can have tools here and there right like EFT or and those are all great but the truth framework is like why do we have to tap so much <laughs> why do we have to like you know like do all of this stuff so much and it's because our stories just create like constant overwhelm um so that and then i'm i'm on instagram at ali m shapiro s-h-a-p-i-r-o um and of course i have a newsletter um that i that i you know send emails out here and there but the podcast and is the big is the big thing well thanks lady it was great to have you on and um yeah yeah. Go go check her out, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. If you want more TMST, head on over to tmstpod.com and become a member. Members get access to the full uncut versions of these conversations, opportunities to submit questions for AMAs, and invites to join me for members-only events. We decided from the beginning to make this an independent project. We don't have sponsors and we don't run ads. This means we can make the show all about you and not what our sponsors or advertisers want, but it also means we're 100% reliant on you for support. So my request and my invitation is simple. 
support the show by becoming a member. You can do this for as little as $5 a month. I cannot stress this enough. You could make a huge difference for as little as $5. Please head on over to tmstpod.com right now. Tell Me Something True is engineered and mixed by Paul Chufo. Michael Elsesser and I dreamed up this show and we're looking forward to joining you online and next time on Tell Me Something True.